Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 257 of How Do You Write? I am Rachel Heron. I'm so pleased with that you are here with me today as I talk to Cassandra Lane. She was absolutely smashing to talk to. And we really talk a lot about um, the process of writing and how to take care of yourself as a writer, even, shall we say, how to parent yourself as a writer, which I thought was a really interesting thing to talk about. So I know you will enjoy the interview. And what's going on around here? Well, we are still in lockdown in New Zealand in the Northland. Uh, But we just went from level four, which is the most extreme lockdown. You don't go anywhere. You don't do anything at all, except to the grocery store if you need to. To level three, nothing changes. You still have to stay in your bubble. You still have to not go anywhere. We still can't leave this Airbnb on the water. It's real rough. Pity us. Um, The one thing that changes is that you can get takeout and I'm going to be able to go kayaking. Really? What else do we need? This morning, this morning it happened. We went to level three up here. Auckland below us is still at level four. We need to drive through Auckland in order to leave this place. So we're kind of here until Auckland goes off of level four, which is going to be about another week and a half, hopefully. Hopefully that will go down to level three. And then we can move to a new apartment, which is more affordable. But in the meantime, we're going to enjoy the crap out of this. But this morning, while my wife and I were working, I said, hey, you want to go get a coffee? And we went and got the best coffee ever. She got a cappuccino. I got a latte. We got it from a person. We went to a place to buy a thing. It was amazing. It was so, so, so good. I'm still giddy on the fumes and the high of getting that coffee. It was wonderful. Unfortunately, I will admit it threw me off my game. Leaving the house during my writing time, getting so excited about the coffee. I have not written today. And I've been doing really, really well with those daily pomodoros, getting my work done. And I haven't done it yet. So I've got a little bit of guilt and a little bit of angst around it. So I will be getting that done after I upload this. I apologize for the days recently where it hasn't gone out on a Friday, where it's come out on Saturday, or even I think one came out on a Sunday. I can't keep my day straight, even though I'm a day ahead of the United States. My brain is all confused, and it just makes me feel like I have a lot more time to get you the show, which means I don't do it. And also, the Wi-Fi speed here is okay but it's not great for uploading YouTube videos. So I'm behind in uploading a couple of the YouTube videos of the podcast in case you watch on that. I apologize for that. I keep meaning to do it when we go to bed so that it can be the only thing using the internet when we go to sleep, but I'm tired and I have forgotten every night for a week. So uh, I'm feeling pretty relaxed (laughs) and my brain is showing that. I really, really love being here. I love the walks that I'm taking through the rain and through the sun and uh, just being surrounded by this much beauty is incredible. Also, it has cemented our belief that when we do eventually settle down, we want to settle down within walking distance of a cafe and or a grocery store. 
for the last 15 years before we moved here, we had to drive at least 20 minutes to get somewhere to get anything. And, you know, we're back to that. And that's awesome. And we drive through the most gorgeous countryside you've ever seen in order to get coffee or to go to the grocery store. But I'm ready to just walk. We had those six beautiful days in Auckland where we walked everywhere and got everything. And this was pre-lockdown. So no masks, everybody inside. It just felt normal for a while. Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about what's going on in New Zealand with the lockdowns. Right now, the goal is elimination of coronavirus, which is what they have done a couple of times successfully before by a total lockdown, keeping it out of the country. Um, There was an article in the New York Times this morning saying, can New Zealand really do it? Because the Delta strain is so much more easily spread. I don't know. I don't think they're going to keep us in lockdown forever if we can't corral it. Um, But to be fair, we had one case. uh, What was it about a week and a half ago? And that's one, maybe two weeks ago, when we locked down. We had one case in the community. It is now up to 700 cases. And I was like, oh my God, that's so many. And all of those people have been, you know, quarantined. They're all, they're, I think there's 20 people in the hospital. No one has died. Um, only 26 people have died of COVID total since coronavirus started in New Zealand. And in kind of a comparison last night, I was curious and I pulled up the states that are closest in size to New Zealand. New Zealand has 5 million people. Um, Alabama and Minnesota both have about a million people. Alabama yesterday reported almost 5,000 cases in one day. We have 700 cases in the country total. Of course, you know, that's Alabama. Um, So it's a little bit different from Minnesota. They reported 1,400 cases in one day. We've had 700 cases over the course of two weeks, and all of those people are being tracked and monitored. Everyone in the country is being tracked and monitored. And that might fly. That might not fly so well in the United States. We really um, have a group of people in New Zealand who are willing to turn on their Bluetooth, willing to use the COVID tracer app wherever they go. And that is why I'm still hopeful that we can stamp out Delta here. If not, they're rolling out the vaccines as fast as they can. About 25% of the population now is vaccinated. Uh, Everybody, almost everybody, wants to be vaccinated. Of course, there are some anti-vaxxers. There's one guy protesting in Auckland a few days ago. Uh, (laughs) Just one guy. They gave him a ticket. Um, They were the last developed nation to get the vaccine, New Zealand was, because they didn't really have much need of it. Could they have done a better job of getting the vaccine in? Probably. I don't know. I don't profess to know much about New Zealand politics, although I am trying to learn. So people are very, very eager to get the vaccine so that Delta being out and in the society would be not acceptable because it's not acceptable, but a little bit better and a little bit less scary for them. Um, New Zealanders are scared of this, as as I, I, I can't even imagine. Like when Delta came out, Everyone I knew had the vaccine. So at least we knew that if we got it, we wouldn't get sick and go to the hospital and die. Um, but right now, the vast majority of New Zealanders don't have the vaccine. And they, we don't need Delta raging through the community. But um, anyway, that's enough of that. I just find it really interesting and still so fascinating to watch the response here and how everybody just pulls together 
together. It's unreal. It really, really is. It's wonderful to see. Uh, I would like to quickly thank new patrons, um, Mary Polyath and Mary M. Barnett. Hello, Mary. Sarah McKenzie and Carol Ann Siciliano. What a pretty name. I apologize if I mispronounce any of those. I just got a visual migraine while, while we've been sitting here. So while I'm looking at the camera, I can't really see it. It just looks like lightning. Uh, visual migraines don't always go along with pain migraines in my life. So I'm hoping I don't get one of those because I don't feel migrainey at all. And oh, speaking of Patreon, I will say that I am a proud and happy member of Becca Symes Patreon. And you know how I feel about Becca Syme. If you have not heard my interview with Becca Syme, S-Y-M-E, go back, find that, listen to it. I love her. And I will say that the one of the reasons I didn't write this morning is that I'm taking her Facebook ads for intuitives course, which is basically make an ad somewhere and then track it intuitively, not looking at a hundred different numbers and cost per click and all of those other things. Here's how you look at it intuitively. And I'm loving it. I actually created a Facebook ad this morning and it was fun to do. So I am thinking about that. And if you are looking for a person to become a patron of, number one, you can look at me at $5 and up. I'm your mini coach. You know that at $1 and up, I'm eternally grateful. That's at rachelherron.com slash. No, it's not. It's at patreon.com slash Rachel. Uh, but after that, really consider patronizing Becca Syme. You can just find her by searching Patreon, Becca Syme. She's definitely the person I love being a patron of most. She provides so much value to her patrons. I just wanted to give a non-sponsored, non-affiliated plug for that. I just love everything she does. So uh, might want to check her out. In the meantime, let us just get into the interview with Cassandra. I know you're going to enjoy it. I hope you are getting some writing done, my friends visual migraine or not. Actually, you know what? If you have a visual migraine, just go lie on the floor till it passes because it will. Oh, I am feeling scattered today and I will just tell you my favorite visual migraine story in 30 seconds or less. The very first time I ever got a visual migraine, I was about 25 and I had just curled my eyelashes for the first time. It was a total coincidence, <laughs> but I thought I had made myself blind by curling my eyelashes and it was a very scary morning. <laughs> now I curl my eyelashes every day because that's one of the things I like to do and I don't normally get visual migraines. Okay, that is all. I'm silly today. It's the coffee. All right, my friends, happy writing to you. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write and you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome to the show, Cassandra Lane. Hello, Cassandra. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm so glad to talk to you. I'm so excited. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction here. Cassandra Lane is a writer and editor based in Los Angeles. Lane received her MFA from Antioch University, LA, Louisiana. Louisiana? 
No, at Los or Angeles. Or it's actually LA, okay. Uh-huh. Um, her stories have appeared in the New York Times Conception Series, the Times-Picayune, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and elsewhere. Her debut memoir, We Are Bridges, was published in 2021 by Feminist Press. She is editor-in-chief of LA Parent Magazine and formerly served on the board of uh, Araho Foundation. What's the Araho Foundation? It's a room of her own. Oh, I did not know that. Well, let's, let's start out by saying, um, I'm a memoir junkie. Oh, yes, Absolutely. It's just probably my favorite genre to read and to write. And We Are Bridges was just absolutely stunning. Um, It was haunting. It was traumatic. It was about trauma, um, generational trauma. And you just did such an incredible job. And I, I felt honored to, to walk with you through that and kind of see things through your eyes. So thank you so much for writing it. Um, at the end of the show, I want you to tell people what it is and what it is about. Um, but as we get started, as we normally do, let's talk about process because you sound very busy. (laughs) How, how, (laughs) how, how do you write? How do you get it done? Where does it live inside your busy life? Oh my God. Well, thank you so much first for your lovely words about the book. That's I loved it. To write. Yeah. Uh, when I saw your, I think it's a class or a book that you wrote about writing yeah. a memoir in 45 days. What is it? 48 hours? 45 days and or, oh. yeah, 45, no, 45 hours. And it is the crappiest first draft. And mostly that's over the course of many weeks. Okay. But I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I need this book. <laughs> So for me, yes, it's been a very long process. I mean, I started the first seeds of this in maybe 2002, so almost 20 years. Yeah. On, I, and I've always pretty much worked full time, very demanding yeah. jobs. So just, you know, getting a little bit in, I get up really early, 4, 4.30 in the morning. Ah, yes, you are the really early bird. Yeah, yeah. And I have to before the craziness of work. And once I became a mom, you know, parenting begins. How Um, old are your kids or kid? My son now is 13. So yeah. You've had 13 very busy years. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I have two bonus sons who are now adults. So at one point, you know, we had... um, more kids in the house so yeah it's just been very it's very challenging so I really cherish those those dark early morning hours lighting my candles my incense and just hoping no one moves (laughs) I've talked to I've talked to mothers who are like and I try not to move my body at all the only thing moving are my fingers because if they hear anything else I'm just doomed talk to us a little bit more about setting the stage for your um, the process of writing. Cause I love to hear the particulars about like, what kind of candles is, what kind of, are you listening to music? What's going on at the desk when you do this? Oh, absolutely. You know, I love music so much, but, and I, I have to write a playlist for the book uh, shortly here. And I was like, you know, I don't, I love music and there's music in the book, but I don't necessarily listen. I don't really listen to music while I'm writing. I need mm-hmm. silence. Um, so I like to hear, you know, the early morning birds outside, I love any sort of candle that has like tobacco, oh. um, scents, vanilla, and DHS. DHS. Yes. Look I up the look up the DHS candles because they have a ton of tobacco-y ones, and they're oh, only wow. like twelve dollars. Oh, cool. Okay, so, yeah. I'm there. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> 
Amber is another smell that I'm just absolutely addicted yeah. to. I wear amber and I'll, I will put some, you know, amber oil on my skin before I come into my writing room oh, and I'll light, nice. you know, amber candles. Um, I found this great, fairly new cafe in my neighborhood called South LA Cafe and they have a candle called Create. And I don't remember, I know it's gardenia, I think it's gardenia and vanilla oh. or some musky scent too. And I just became addicted. That's perfect. To it. Like gardenia is my favorite. The musky is my favorite. I want that candle. And it's called. Yes, it's addictive. Oh, and I've gone the last few times to get it and they were out and I was so upset. <laughs> I get very attached to my candles. Very yeah. attached. Yes. And I was, I got that. Scent. It's interesting. I think I have different scents for different phases. So when I was in that very final phase of book production, that's the candle that got me through. And I went to get it those last few times. They didn't have it. <laughs> like not unacceptable. Unex- <laughs> so let me ask you about the long time frame of sitting with this book, because I've talked to people who, how did, how did the book change over time? Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll start with the title. I feel like it's had a hundred different titles. Yeah. Um, and those titles were, I think, you know, driven by what I thought the book was about at the time, oh, which has matured as I've matured. You know, I thought the book initially when I first started, I wasn't even planning on becoming a mom. I was just going to help other people with their kids. And so I just thought, oh, this is an exploration about what happened to my ancestor, Bert Bridges, who was lynched. Um, and that was the premise. I would go to this cemetery that was near my apartment, you know, imagine his life, imagine his, his murder. And I was just so obsessed with that story mm-hmm. and thought that that was going to be that I was going to resurrect him and, and tell his story. And at some point I became, I reached a roadblock. Um, there were no records about his life. My great grandmother, whom I remember, remember very well, was not, she, was, she did not want to talk about him. Um, after much badgering over the years, she finally revealed his name to my grandfather who knew that the man she was married to and who, who beat him so much um, did, and didn't love him. He eventually knew that that wasn't his biological father. She told him and she told him his real father was Bert Bridges and that he was lynched. And then my mom became obsessed with finding out who her father's biological father was. And she told my mom just a little bit more, you know, and that's how we found out that he was so fine and beautiful. And she was absolutely still in love with him, even on her deathbed crying about him and their love. Uh, So how can you not write that story? I know, I know, (laughs) I know. And I remember my grandfather, I was a little girl and didn't understand. You've read the book. Why this 80 something year old man was in his recliner after he retired. I think, you know, he'd been so busy working such physically hard jobs for all those decades. And once he was forced to retire from chopping down trees in the woods, uh, he had all this time on his hands and he didn't have any hobbies and he would just go over his entire life. And I remembered him crying about how he didn't know his real daddy and his stepdaddy beat him so bad. And I just didn't understand like what happened and didn't really get interested in asking the questions until of course I was older, a young woman. Um, and I think when I first heard Billie Holiday sing Strange Fruit, or oh Strange Fruit it haunted me so yeah. much. And that's when I started connecting the dots that, oh, this is, this impacted my family. And yeah, yeah. your direct, yeah. your direct bloodline. 
Absolutely. Directly to you. So how did that change? How did the writing of the book change when you became a mother, a, a biological mother? I think I started looking at, I was so focused on the men and I kind of, you know, my, I wasn't going to take the motherhood path and I kind of aligned with the men in the family, which who seemed to be more free to me. And, you know, even though they were married, they had certain freedoms that the women didn't seem to have. Um, so I think I, have, I was sort of taking the women for granted and undervaluing them um, and saw their child rearing as burdensome, something that I just didn't want to take on. Um, so becoming a mom helped me, well, pregnancy really, just look at them, turn the lens on great grandma Mary as the survivor, a very strong survivor at that. She was a farmer. She fed people who were poorer than she was. And she had cooked this amazing food that I remember. And so that's once I reached that roadblock and, you know, for some years kind of left the story alone. When I think when I became pregnant, I really started to see grandma, mm -hmm. great grandma Mary, as well as my grandmother and my mother in a different way and appreciate what they had and the, the strength that they had. Um, and I started telling those stories. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you. Um, what, what is the most difficult part of writing for you? Mm, having to go to those deep places. Mm. I keep saying one day I'm going to write a, a humor, <laughs> a comedy or something. I don't know. I bet, I bet, I bet you that you will go deep in it anyway. Like you, it would be all comedy, but then you would dive straight for like, this is hard. Let's look at it. <laughs> In fact, some people have been asking me, okay, what's next? And even my form, my editor. And I had this idea that I thought was going to be next. And as soon as the book hit the shelves and people started reading it, including family, a cousin, first cousin came to me, he read it in a day and just wrote this long letter telling me about something that happened that was also racially, that he believes was racially motivated and it's contemporary times. Um, wow. The death of his father, my uncle David and how they believed that that was not an accident. Oh no. And then I dreamed about it that night. So I was like, oh, oh, here we go. You know, and I worked, so I'm talking to him about, you know, what happened to the investigation and what's the real story. And I have a, a sneaky suspicion that that's what I'm going to be pursuing next, despite my desire to write this light book of <laughs> friendship. <laughs> you are being drawn forward into this. That is fascinating. That is. Yeah. So even though that kind of writing and the subject matter is heavy and hard, for some reason, I'm drawn to that. And I think when you ask what's difficult about it, what's difficult is having to pull myself out. You know, I only have this small amount of time to, to work on it. And it's hard to get back into those deep places. Well, yeah, there's a word kept coming to me when I was reading too, is that you're just kind of ferocious about being able to look at these things. And that takes an emotional toll. And then it's 530 in the morning and then you got to start your day. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, I got to act normal now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what is what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing when a sentence when I can get a sentence to sing I love the revision process I'm yes, me too. crazy I'm like what I just love it because you know I just I don't feel like I when I speak it's not exactly how I wanted it to be when you first write and so writing and not being under deadline because I've 
I have a career. I've been a journalist. I'm an editor. So I constantly have yeah. to write under deadline. So writing a creative project, especially outside when you're not under contract, allows me that time to slow down. I'm a slow thinker, a slow reader, and revision allows me um, the chance to really just go deep. Mm. I like cooking, you know, a pot of gumbo, something that's not a can of soup. It just takes a long, and it always tastes better the next day or so. Um, so you I love get to that. do any of that, like in the magazine business, like no. <laughs> our newspaper. No, <laughs> it's, just, it's just go, 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 go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with our listeners? I love poetry. Well, I love my poet friends and I love, I'm not a poet. And so I, I don't even understand how it works, but what's really helped me uh, just in recent years is reading poetry. Yeah. When that, I'm, I'm such an early morning person that I can't stay up late and read in bed. Like I envision all these writers doing. <laughs> so I keep by my, on my nightstand are just uh, books of poetry. Um, Patricia Smith, Blood Dazzler, uh, Richard Bieben, a late beloved friend, um, his book, What the Heart Weighs. And so in those few minutes that I have before I'm knocked out, I will read a poem, Jericho Brown. And uh, I love hearing poets also read their poetry out loud. I think that musicality has influenced my work. My mother is a musician. Um, so it reminds me of that, you know, the texture and the musicality, their voices, or how resonant they are. Um, so I encourage prose writers to listen to poets and to read poetry. So just this year, I have finally, I took a poetry class after being like, after having poetry beaten out of me in, in, grad, <laughs> in grad school, like right. I just never thought I could do it again. And I thought I wasn't a poet. And so I don't know, I'm hearing like, I'm hearing in your voice, you love poetry. You're a writer. Is there a poet's heart under there that you just, you're, and you're not writing poetry now? I just see it as I'm a lover. Like, I f it feels so sacred to me that I do that's not. The way, that's the way I felt. And then I took this really playful, small class, just a month long class. And it broke everything open because I thought it, I thought it was too sacred to do. I thought, yeah. just thought I wasn't a good enough writer. So, oh, interesting. I'll have to, if that's an ongoing workshop, I'll have to look. I'll send that. you the, I'll say it's Mona McDermott and I'll send you um, the information because she really kind of changed my life with this class and, and allowing me to be a poet because I'm kind of like, you have, I'd only ever read poetry and let it fill me, but I didn't know I could fill myself with it too. I love so. that. That's beautiful. So any poetry books in your future? Definitely not. No, <laughs> I am not there. <laughs> No, I can barely write it, but it is, it does feel really good to write it too. So. I'm, I'm totally open to, if it's, you know, and I like that, how to enter it through the door of play, play. as opposed to like yeah. that. And I'm always trying to like get stuff done. So also I'm like, well, maybe this will improve my prose. And in fact it will, you know, but that gives exactly. me permission to enter it. And I really love like the way you just lit up when you were talking about poetry. So I don't know. I don't know. It's none oh. of my business, but um, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, what thing in your life affects your writing in a surprising way? A positive? Anyway. Surprising. Positive, <laughs> negative? Hmm. Huh. I think, you know, I think being a, a mom, and now I'm a new pet parent too, which I don't know what Ooh, I was thinking. To what, kind of, what kind of animal? <laughs> it's, a, it's a greyhound. He's a great, um, he's still a puppy, he's, but he's super tall. He's beautiful. So beautiful. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's something about, you know, you're thinking, oh, I have even less time now because I'm nurturing this child, this animal. But um, there's something about watching myself give to these other beings that reminds me that I need to give to my own self and parent myself. And part of my, you know, the thing that I make most excited about with my own life is my writing. And so I try to mirror, find ways to mirror that, that parenting um, with my writing and treatment. And that's why I always, you know, call it book baby. I know we all do that. A lot of us do that anyway, but I want to treat it in that way. Like I'm not, I can't like leave this baby or the next baby alone. It's time for me to spend some time with them too. And parenting reminds me of that. In fact, I think I value my time more than I did before I was a parent. Things that I took for granted are now very precious at time. That is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> I love that. What is the best book that you've read recently? Oh my gosh. I love The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. I know it's all the rage right now. I haven't even heard of it. I'm, I think I'm out of the times. The Secret Life of Church Ladies. The Secret Lives of amazing. Church Ladies. I grew up in the church, black traditional black church. And the cover, I don't have it right here by me, but the cover it's just this woman. Please tell me it has a hat or two. It, it doesn't, but just she's buttoned with a bow and it's. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Um, and so it's a book of short stories. And it's Ooh. about these black women who, you know, in some way they're tied to the church and they're, they take certain risks. It's very daring. They're very funny moments. Very, I just love the writing. Very tight. It's uh, Disha, by Disha Filia. Um, so that short book of short stories and also oh, another debut uh, book of short stories called Eat the Mouth That Feeds You by mm. Karina Fregosa. Very strange and delicious and fascinating um, the way she's telling these stories. I mean, the title in and of itself and the, the title story is like, it makes you cringe, but also can't turn away. Oh, so, that's kind yeah. of some of my favorite writing when... Yeah. When that happens. Ooh, okay. Um, I think you've told us quite a bit about the book, but tell us um, a little bit more about where it can be found, where you can be found. Awesome. So it can be found on all of the channels. I love supporting my local bookstores. So I encourage people, you don't have to buy from mine, which include Reparations Club, SLWAN, Skylight Books, but whatever, wherever you are, you know, support your local bookstore if you can. And it's and also it is called We Are Bridges. We want to remember. Yes, published by the Feminist Press just in April, the week of my birthday. So it was a great. Oh my gosh! A on birthday and, and the first book baby was it was super 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 special. Um, and then my website is CassandraLane.net, and I'm on all the social channels as well, Cassandra Lane. It has been a delight talking to you. Thank you for your book. I really really loved it and. Um, and I just wish you happy writing as you move forward into the next um, not light yet project. <laughs> <laughs> this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. 
Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.